to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Most of you knew we were going there because for the past few months we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. You know, the first few weeks that we did that, I did try to recap everything, every service. We've gone far enough now that that's not really practical. But uh, we, I do want to recap something that we talked about a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we were introduced to the church in Antioch. And I don't know if you guys were here. Some of you were, some of you weren't. But the church in Antioch was different. It was different because at the time, before that, that church started, before many of the other churches started, the church of Jesus Christ started in Jerusalem. You might say uh, the church started when Jesus breathed his life into his disciples. You might say it started when he ascended to heaven. I think you could make a strong argument that the church really started on the day of Pentecost when those 120 souls were gathered in the upper room and 3,000 were added to their number that day. There was probably more than 120 who were disciples of Jesus Christ because the scripture tells us that he, he appeared to hundreds after his resurrection. But there were 120 on that day in Jerusalem. The church blossomed to over 3,000. In short order, 5,000 were added to that. Many more were added to the, their number. And so the church had grown quite a bit. But the church in Jerusalem, as much as it grew, it stayed in Jerusalem. You'll recall that Jesus said, this gospel will be preached. He said, you, they asked him, when will your kingdom come? When are you going to come and rule on the earth? He says, it's not for you to know the times and the epochs of that. That's up to the Father. But one thing I will tell you, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes, yes. That was what he told them. When you get the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. They received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But the rest of the sentence said, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. All right, they got that down. And they witnessed for Jesus. They were his witnesses of his resurrection all throughout Jerusalem. But he didn't stop at Jerusalem. He said, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But they stopped at Jerusalem because they have that same tendency that we all have when something gets big and something gets great and it really starts to move. We don't want to break it up. We want to keep it. We want, we want, you know, it's great having the building full. It's great having everybody jumping up and down. It's great having all the gifts in the room. We love this. But Jesus had commanded them to spread out. They didn't spread out until that day when Stephen preached that mighty message and something happened to Saul as he stood by while Saul's friends stoned Stephen to death because they were so, so angered by what the Holy Spirit was saying. As they stoned Stephen to death, Saul was being poked by that same Holy Spirit, was being prodded by the Holy Spirit. He kicked against the Holy Spirit and began to persecute the church. And that church in Jerusalem scattered because of the persecution. And while that was a bad thing, and persecution, as the scripture tells us very clearly, is not from God. While it was a bad thing, God did bring something good out of it, which was that the gospel began to spread outside of Jerusalem. And as Philip went down to Samaria, Samaria... And all the Samaritan villages were open to the gospel. And the apostles began to preach there. And many other people began to preach in other places. And a few weeks ago we read how it said that they began to spread out and they were speaking to Jews only. Now the Samaritans were not fully Jews, but they were kind of kind of Jewish enough that you could include them on the fringes. But as these people were scattering to different parts of Greece and Syria... And even, even further than that, as they were spreading to different parts of the empire, 
Um, they were only preaching to Jewish people who were also had scattered at different points in history. Because at this point, all they got to tell you is that Jesus is the Messiah. The law and the prophets told us he was coming. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of all that God's promised us. He's here. And all of a sudden, God brings a revelation through Peter. The revelation that Jesus had preached, the revelation, revelation that even the law and the prophets had, had predicted that this gospel was not just for Jewish people, it was for everybody, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And as God spoke through Peter, he opened the gospel up to the Gentiles. Even then, there was a group of people that were just preaching to Jewish folks. Until there was a couple, a few, well, a small group of people from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they started to preach to Gentiles as well. We talked about this a few weeks ago, about how it might have been difficult to find a place to a common point to start from. You know, you're Jewish. Jesus was the Messiah. He came first to the, to the Jews, to the house of Israel. He preached, uh, you know, uh, many times quoting out of the books that they knew and they'd grown up with. And now you got to preach to somebody who worships a pantheon of gods, who, who has no idea about who Moses is, who has no idea who Isaiah is, has no idea who Elijah is, has no idea what Messiah would be. And so when you're talking to these people, they had to have the Holy Spirit to figure out, what in the world do I say to somebody who's not Jewish? And the Bible says that as they begin to preach to some different people, Greeks also, that God's hand was on them, and there were signs and wonders done, and the Holy Spirit began to move, and a church was started in Syria in the city of Antioch, and that church had such a great move of God and such a strong sense of the grace of God that they sent Barnabas to go help that church out. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He was a great teacher. He was a man of God. They sent Barnabas. They said, go check it out. Go help them out. Correct them if they need correcting, but see what's going on. He goes, and the Bible says that he witnessed the grace of God. He looked, and he said, whoa, God's doing something here. So he went, and he got his new believer buddy, Saul, who had not such a new believer anymore. He'd been in it for a little bit, began to teach, began to proclaim Jesus in some of the synagogues. He brought Saul, who would later become known as Paul. He brought him to church, and he says, look what God's doing in Antioch. And Saul, later Paul, as he sees this, he witnesses it too. He gets excited. And they both begin to preach and to teach in that church. And that church takes off. And we read how that church was the first church that when they heard there was going to be a famine in their city and every other city they knew about, they, instead of hoarding and saying, let's keep it, they heard that word and they said, let's give it away. Let's take up an offering right now. If there's going to be a famine, let's take up an offering. Which so goes against our human instinct. We, I mean, normally as humans, we would say, if there's going to be a famine, let's hoard up. I mean, this is not like there's going to be a famine in Chile. There's going to be a famine here. And over all the parts of the world that you're aware of, over the whole empire, there's going to be a famine. Our instinct is, okay, like squirrels, let's gather up our nuts because winter's coming. But the Antioch people said, let's take an offering. And they sent it to the saints in Judea. And as they did that, they demonstrated that their trust was in God. And that church just began to just take off. It was blessed. It was a foothold in an area that previously had not been touched. And I want to read you something as we turn in the book of Acts to chapter 13. So hopefully, 
I did my best to summarize and bring us up to this point. So we're all kind of starting from the same page. I apologize if I talked a little too fast, but I'm just excited to get to this point. Acts 13 verse 1 says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger. I don't know if you know the significance of that. It was a less politically correct society. That just means <laughs> black. <laughs> they, they called him, hey, he's the black guy in our congregation. <laughs> they didn't mean it bad. It was good. It was friendly, you know. <laughs> Which Simeon are you talking about? Oh, the black Simeon. Oh, okay, that guy. All right, we know that guy. So I don't know where he was from, whether he was from Ethiopia or where, but he's cool. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now I want us to stop because there's a lot we could get out of this whole chapter. But tonight, I'd like us just to focus on what we've read just now. It's not going to be a huge, it might not be a huge amount of verses that we're working from, but I think it's so significant that we need to stop here and think about what we just read. Because we live in a day and age where, number one, we like to get things done quickly, and we like to get things done with the expectation that if it works somewhere else, it'll work here. And let's get together and let's write out the pros and cons. Let's have a, a meeting and let's discuss how we can get this done. And meetings are great. Vision meetings are great. Um, planning meetings are great. Team meetings are great. But I want you to see how this great missionary journey started. You might not have caught this, but this was the first missionary journey that Paul took. And from this point, the church as we know it will be revolutionized by those two men starting out on a journey. The world was never the same. I'm not just talking about the, just that church in Antioch. I'm saying the world was never the same since those two guys got sent out. After this point, most of the, most of the book of Acts is going to be following them around. Now, of course, there were three major um, missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. And uh, many of these churches, when you read your Bible and you open it up and it says the letter to the Galatians, letter to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, the Thessalonians, all of these churches started out by the Apostle Paul going on a missionary trip somewhere. They all started with a missionary trip. You know, churches don't just exist without somebody going there and preaching the gospel. You know, and I've been in villages myself in different parts of the world where it's the biggest thrill in the world to go to a village that has never heard the gospel. It, it is, it's really cool when you go and you can meet brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them, but it is something else to visit a place that's never heard the gospel. I'm not talking about a place that hasn't heard it for a while. I'm not talking about a place that has a very small church. I'm talking about places so far in the jungle, so far up a mountain, that nobody's heard the gospel. And you know what's so cool about it? They've been so free of religion that when you preach the gospel with power to them, they believe it right away, and they see miracles miracles happen because nobody told them that it wouldn't happen. So you preach Jesus to them and you say, hey, you know what? Jesus healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the sick. And he still does that today. And they go ahead and they believe it. And you know what? Lame, blind, they all get healed. 
because they're just so excited and because God has promised us that the gospel would be followed by signs confirming the word. All of these churches that we read about, all of these letters that we, we've based our, our life upon, they started with somebody being sent and preaching the gospel. You know, a lot of times we, we think about the significance of one person, of two people. Think about this. Most of these missionary journeys, many people were involved in spreading the gospel, but most of it started with two people. Two people going. I don't know where God's put you. I mean, I know where God's put many of you. I don't know where everybody is. I don't know where you all work. I don't know where you spend most of your time. But if two people could set the empire on fire by preaching the gospel wherever they went, I wonder what we could do in a city like Lloyd. I wonder what could happen in all the oil fields. I wonder what could happen if we just realized what God can do with one or two people. So as Saul went out with Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas go on their trip, it didn't start because somebody in a meeting said, here are the areas we need to hit. It started because they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now, here's the deal. Some people have, have put out the theory, and you can judge it because the Scripture's not clear on this. So I'm going to give you a free pass to say, no, I don't buy it, or yeah, I think that could have happened. But I've, 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 I've heard many people posit this, that that when they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, some people have said that it was their theory that they just started ministering to the Lord. They got so into it, they just started to, they just forgot about food. They just didn't care about food anymore. And that's possible because that happened to Jesus. But whether or not they planned it or not, they got into this place of ministering to the Lord, that food wasn't important, time wasn't important. They were just ministering to him. What does that mean to minister to the Lord? What does it mean? Does ministering to the Lord, because we know what ministry might mean if you're saying I'm ministering to people or I'm ministering, uh, I'm, I'm serving in ministry. What does it mean to minister to the Lord? Because really, the word ministry is a word that means to serve, to, you know, like a, like a waiter or a waitress would serve you. That's, that's ministering. So every time a preacher gets up and preaches, he's ministering. He's serving you with, with something that God has, has, has placed in his word, and he's serving this teaching. He's serving you. He's, he's not here to build something. He's here to serve. And so when they served God, how were they, what, what in the world could God need? They ministered to him. And of course, we know that they, when they ministered to one another, that was preaching the gospel, that was teaching. But when they minister to the Lord, that's worship. That's worship. That's fellowship with God. That's blessing the Lord. That's songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the words. The Bible calls it the fruit of our lips giving thanks. That's, that's prayers of, of thanksgiving and, and rejoicing, rising to him. That's time spent with him. They, they devoted themselves to him. You know, I understand that when we come to church, there's lots of different things we might do on a Sunday morning, lots of different things we might do on a Wednesday night. But you know, there are some times during those services, and every day, every moment of the day should be worship for us, not just a time where music is playing, not just a time where, where we're in a building where we say, this is a worship building. I mean, you, I mean worship is, is everything. Everything is worship when we're doing it unto the Lord. But think about this. They had dedicated a set of time apart from everything else. Now, they were still ministering to people. 
right? They're ministering to the people. They're ministering the word. They're ministering in their city. But there was time set apart to minister to the Lord. This is a time where they've set apart just for him. This is a time where they're worshiping him. They're doing it together. Do you know how valuable it is? It's a shame that this is the part people often show up late and miss. Do you know how valuable it is when we gather together as a group and we say the goal of this part of the service is not for us to get something, but for us to give something to him? And you always get something, don't you? I mean, you can't give something to God without receiving something. He just doesn't work that way. You always end up receiving from the Lord when you're worshiping. I mean, you know, it's impossible not to. But that time of worship isn't about you. It's about him. It's a shame that that's sometimes the part where we kind of like either show up late or we show up saying, well, I hope they work me up with some songs. Songs are not designed to work you up. They're designed to be lifted to him. Songs have different meanings in the scripture. There were songs that you sang so you would remember things. There were songs that you'd sing to encourage and admonish one another. There's other songs that their sole purpose was to praise God and to worship God. What's the difference? They, They flow together, but loosely we could say praise is talking about the greatness of God and what he's done. Worship is a time where you are simply... Ah, boy, I can't just describe it in a sentence. But let me just say, when we worship through music, okay? That's just one small sliver of worship. But when we worship through music, that's when we're directly talking to him, singing to him, singing about his beauty, focusing on him, adoring him. Much as, much as, much as they did as Jesus walked the earth, when, when that woman washed his feet with her hair and with that expensive perfume and was worshiping him and pouring out what she had, though it, though it may not seem like much to you, it was a lot to her. As she worships him, people around said, what a waste. But Jesus said, That's, this is worth something. And I want you to know that our times of worship this is something so valuable. And you might say, we live in a very consumer culture, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a culture that says, what is in it for me? What am I going to get from this? What, what, you know, what am I getting? What am I getting? What am I getting? In fact, people leave churches because they say, I wasn't getting anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's important that you receive stuff. It's important that you're fed. I'm, you know, because if you're not fed, you don't have any energy to feed somebody else, Right? But it's also, it's not the only reason you're in a church. It's not the only reason you're in a group of people. It's not the only reason you're on the planet. It's just to receive something. You're also here to give something. And that worship, we might say, you know, so many, so many times with a consumer mentality, we gather together and, and maybe your time with the Lord, you know, because the scripture tells, tells us so clearly that when you have a need, you bring it to him. It says, don't be anxious. Don't get worried about anything. Every need you have, it says in Philippians, everything you ever worried about, instead of being worried, you give it to him. Through prayer and supplication, you lift it to the Lord. And it says that as you do that, it says you don't just do it, you don't just bring your needs, but you also begin to, it says with thanksgiving, you begin to thank him for what he's already done. You thank him for what he has done, and you thank him for what he's doing right when you're asking, when you're praying the prayer. And it says this God, he, not only will he meet those needs, but he's going to guard your heart with his peace so that you don't, you don't get back into worrying and doubt and fear. So I understand that it is so important that you bring your request to the Lord. 
I don't want you to ever think that's not important. I don't want you to get into the attitude where you say, well, you know what? I'm just so needy. I ask God for too much. Listen, he is bigger than you can imagine. He is never on a budget. If he answers your prayer, it does not take away from somebody else's prayer. If, he, if he's talking to you, he could be talking to millions of other people at the same time. So don't ever get worried that you're asking too much of God. In fact, he seems to like when people expect much of him. But may I say, if all of your time with the Lord is simply your, your needs, you're missing out on a big part of fellowship with the Father. You're missing out on a big part. If the only time you talk to him is when you need something, you are missing one of the greatest parts of being a believer which is fellowship with God. How would you like it if your kids only talked to you when they needed something? Anybody be a big fan of that? Now, I mean, they do come to you when they need something. You also would not want them to avoid you if they needed something, would you? You wouldn't want, the, you, you wouldn't want to find out that they needed money for lunch and they, went, they, they didn't have any lunch because they were afraid to ask you. That would make you feel bad too, wouldn't it? So you want them to come to you when they have a need. But that's not the only time you want to spend with them. The time we spend with God, those needs are important to him. Those requests are important to him. Intercession is important to him. But you know what else is important to him? Spending time and fellowshipping with him. Spending time and worshiping him. Spending time and thanking him. The Bible talks about blessing the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Think about that. He's saying, bless the Lord. Soul. Soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me. Consider how you could bless the Lord with everything you had in you. What do you have that could bless the Lord? Now, of course, it blesses the Lord when we bless others. Of course, we know that. But in that psalm, he's not talking about blessing others. He's talking about specifically directing his attention specifically to God. And that Hebrew word for bless is tied to saying good things. It's tied to your mouth. You can't bless without your mouth. This is blessing the Lord. I believe that he is blessed when your attention is focused on him and you have that time of worship. And I want you to see what happened. As they were ministering to the Lord, the Bible doesn't tell us that they were looking for answers. It doesn't tell us that they were saying, we don't know what to do. We're, we need to do something. We need to get something going. All it says is they were ministering to the Lord. And God spoke to them in that time. They had, it, did, it doesn't seem to me like they had an agenda other than ministering to God. And then at that time, he says, set apart these two men. He gives them direction. And that one word from God is going to change the course of history. Because when those two men start their journey, the world will never be the same again. Isn't that amazing? And it all started in a session where they're just worshiping God together. Isn't that awesome? Now I wonder if we've gotten so good at running churches like businesses that we have replaced sometimes have replaced those times of ministering to the Lord with strategy meetings and planning sessions. Those are important, but they cannot be replaced. They cannot replace, sorry. They can't replace times of just ministering to God. The leadership team did not get together and get out their stats. 
They didn't get together and say, listen, these are the parts of the world. You know, uh, this study says this part of the world has been, this percentage is is. Greek religion, this part is animus, this part is, you know, they, they weren't analyzing it with their, their minds here. They went to the Lord, and the Lord had a plan. You know, the Lord had a plan. Don't you know the Lord's got a plan for your life? I don't mean that in the broad cliche, I'm going to give you a plaque that says it sort of way. That's true too, you know, but maybe you've heard that so often, you know, God's got a plan for your life that, that those words kind of don't stick to you anymore because you've heard it so much. It's like when somebody says, bless you when you sneeze. But might I just say specifically, God has plans for you. And you might think, well, okay, cool. God's got plans for me. So if whatever happens, that must have been his plan. But that's not what the scripture says. Scripture says New Testament believers will be led by the spirit of God. Talks, and we have examples of him speaking through his word, speaking by his spirit, and people followed the voice of God, and they had the choice whether to follow or to disobey. And can I tell you, you can disobey by not listening. You know, if your kid's upstairs, and you say, hey, Johnny boy, come down for dinner, and they kind of hear some, but they can't understand what you said because the music's cranked up too loud. And they kind of know you're talking, but, you know, they don't really hear it. Come down for dinner! They still kind of hear your voice, but they don't understand it. So they just go, and they keep going. You know what? That's not, it's not, it's not just obedience because it's not only disobedience when they hear you clearly and they decide not to do it. Sometimes there's the disobedience of just not listening. I hope I said that clearly. Do you know what I mean? Like there are times where we say, well, God didn't tell me to do that. And we think we're in the perfect will of God because we've never been led to do anything different. But the truth was, God has been trying to speak to you over and over and over again, and you haven't been listening. And you say, well, God, you didn't tell me to do anything different, but maybe he did and you just weren't listening. Last time I heard from God was 1987 in my truck, driving down, you know, Range Road, whatever. So that's your proof that God only speaks to you once every, you know, 30 years. But perhaps you only listen once every 30 years. Now let's, let's work it out. God speaking to you doesn't always have to be an angel in the middle of the road. Doesn't always have to be a voice that you hear and rings around your head. So often he speaks through his word, most often. He speaks through that spirit that you've got inside you, the Holy Spirit. That's how he wants to talk to you. And so you've got to learn to listen. And there's got to be time set aside for just listening to him and ministering to him and worshiping him. And I'm going to tell you that I've experienced this over and over again. There have been answers I've looked for, I've searched for, directions I couldn't get a clue how to go. And then just in a time of worship where we were all just lifting our voices. All of a sudden, you're not, you're not looking for the answers right then. You're not really focused on your problems. You're not focused on your issues. You're focused on him. And in those moments, boom, you got your answer. Boom, you have direction. What I have found is if I'm in those times where God speaks to you in a great time of worship and you can sense the presence of God and there's such, there's such a conviction in you. I don't mean the bad conviction. I mean conviction like you know it's God. You're sure, oh man, that's what I'm going to do. Oh yes, I praise God. God, I will do that. What I've also found is that when you step out of that time, you're going to have a little fight with your soul. 
Because usually what happens on the next day is it's time to follow up on what you just told God you were going to do. And I found for me, now maybe you are just so super high spiritual that this never happens to you. But what happens to me is I usually have my brain start saying, you were just caught up in the moment. We all said things we didn't mean. You got a little caught up in the moment. You said, Jesus, you can have it all. But you really can't afford it all. So maybe take a few steps back. It's at those times I have to realize that the purest and the most, the most clear I've ever been is when I am focused on Jesus and I've put all my worries away and I've shut my soul off for a bit. Now your soul's, no, your soul's worshiping God, right? Because you worship him, spirit, soul, and body. You worship him with everything. But my soul's not focused on myself. It's focused on him. And those moments I've made the best decisions because they weren't my plans, they were his. And you just say, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And your decision that you make at that point, you know, David said, he said this to the Lord. He said, I will keep my vow that I made to you in the presence of all the people. Yeah. Do you know what he's talking about? What did he do in the presence of all the people? The book of Psalms is made up of worship music, of praise music, and some other stuff, maybe some of the blues. But it's made up of songs that they sang in the congregation. And they sang to the Lord. They wrote it in private often. But then they'd sing it as a congregation. So he says, I made a vow to you in the presence of all the people. It could have been a time where you, the presence of God was so, sense, so strong that you could sense that the glory of God had fallen. And he made a vow in front of everybody. He has to say later on, I'm going to keep my vow that I made in that moment. Because the thing you got to fight is the urge to say, I was caught up. I was excited. I made some vows I don't think I should have to keep. David said, I'm going to keep that vow. I'm going to keep that vow. And you know, when they were worshiping God and ministering to the Lord, like I said, they weren't looking for a plan. They weren't asking God, what do we do next? Well, at least if they were, it doesn't record it. It just says their focus was him. And then the Lord spoke. And you know, I don't believe, even though it is, it's, he does this, and it's certainly within, well within the realm of possibility that he would just speak in an audible voice to all of them, I believe he used one or two of them at first. And it witnessed with all of them. I believe he might have used the prophets to say something. Say, set these two apart, right? It's most likely that God didn't write on the wall like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. God, in the, in the church, he used the gifts that he put in the people, right? He, he, he gave them prophets. It's time to use them. So one of them says, set apart for me. But I want you to see what he said. Because I've been a Christian long enough to know that there's a whole lot of people that say, I got a word for you. And you've got to be discerning and know if that's from God or not. And you can't just rely on one person. You can't just rely on them. Even though God will use people, you also have to know that prophecy often confirms what the Lord is already speaking to you. Because I want you to notice what he says here. It says, set apart these two, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And you know, we can look back in Scripture. Now, we don't have a lot of Barnabas' life recorded, but we do have Saul. And we know God spoke to him specifically about where he'd go and what he'd say and, and who he'd preach to. 
So this is stuff they've already got in their spirit, but it's confirmed by the prophets. You see that? The gifts working together. So they already got it in there. They are, he's already called them to it. He's already told them a little bit about it, but now it's backed up by this prophecy and it's witnessed. These are mature believers and some new believers, but they, they got their head on straight. And it's, these, the leadership is in agreement. This is God. So what do they do? You know, they've been fasting already. But what they do is they fast and they pray and they lay their hands on them and they sent these guys away. And that is so, so, so the right way to do it. Yeah. This is the exciting thing, is that they realize no matter how good of a preacher Paul might be, no matter how talented Barnabas is, God is not just going to use your talent and your speaking ability. You've got to be sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And no matter how much you say, well, I can wing it, we all can wing it. But they recognize the power of them praying together. Praying and fasting before the Lord. You know, they didn't take this lightly. They could have just said, let's pray for you real quick right now. We got, we got appointments. We're all hungry. We've been fasting for a while. Do you realize when they heard that from God, they said, let's fast some more. Let's pray some more. And they laid their hands on them and they sent them out. You know, the scripture says that the world needs to hear the gospel, right? And it says in Romans, how will they believe if they've never heard? Then it says, how will they hear if there's not a preacher? Now, you might think that's somebody like me that stands up here, but a preacher is just a proclaimer. And you're all sent to proclaim the gospel, right? But here, he's talking about going to new places and preaching to new people, specifically. Then he says this, how will they preach if they've not been sent? Now, God's ultimately the one that commissions He's the one that calls. He's the one that equips. People can't decide whether you're called or not. People can't decide whether you're equipped or not. People can't give you an anointing. We've got to be real careful with that. I know there's a lot of give me your anointing, give me your anointing. I want Jesus' anointing. He promised it to me. That's the one he promised me. That's the one I want. I want his. You know what? I got the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that anointing abides within you. I'm not looking for you to give me something. I'm not looking for you to give me something. I want something from him. Now, I believe in the impartation through the laying on of hands. That's scriptural. I believe that it says, it says, Paul told Timothy that there was a gift that was in him through the laying on of hands and the prophetic word that was spoken over him. And the presbytery, which means a, a group of ministers, a group of elders, laid their hands on him. And there was something imparted to him. They were the conduits. God was the giver. Right? They didn't give them their anointings. They didn't give them their gifts. They, they, just were, they were just laying their hands and God gave them the gift that he needed. That's God's the one that does it. So people can't decide if you're called. People can't, you know, people can't decide and give you a gift or an anointing. That, that doesn't happen. But I can tell you this. There is an importance in having people behind you. And having people that can lay their hands on you and pray for you and being commissioned and not just going rogue, but realizing you're part of a bigger picture. And when you have somebody that says, I'm, we're sending you out in the name of Jesus. We didn't pick you. He picked you. We didn't call you. He called you. But we're going to lay our hands on you and God is going to anoint you for this task. He's going to empower you for this task. God uses people. 
And God used those people. And they could have said, don't you know who I am? We've been going, we've been leading this church. Look how big the church grew. We've been doing this. We don't need you. But they recognize nobody is an island. And everybody needs somebody behind them. And everybody needs somebody to, to, to lay their hands on them and send them out. And that's exactly what happened. And they were sent out with power. You know, a lot of times it's Paul that gets the credit for these great stories in the book of Acts. But we also got to think, ultimately God gets the glory, right? But you also got to think about all those people that laid their hands on him and prayed for him. Without them... The story doesn't happen. And it all starts by a time of ministering to the Lord. And I want to tell you that ministry to one another is very important. Scripture's full of it. Serve one another in love. It's full of the fact that we are called to minister to each other, minister to people. Ministry to people is vital. What do I mean by ministry to people? I mean serving them, whether serving them and in, in the gifts that God's given you, whether it's preaching the gospel, laying on of hands, whether it's helping them out, encouraging them, whether it's giving, whatever it is, you know, helping them out with chores at their house, whatever it is, ministering to people is huge. It's a big deal. It's important. It's part of your life. But ministering to the Lord is where you're going to get the, the, the energy, the strength, the love, the life that you can minister to people. Minister to the Lord comes first. Now, I believe if somebody's ministering to the Lord, they're going to be ministering to people. You know, it's like First John says, if somebody says they know God and they don't love people, they're lying. James says, if you go tell everybody, you, you know, you say you've got, you, you know, say be warm and be filled and you don't give them something. Actually, First John talks about that too. You harden your heart when you've got something to, something to give somebody and you say, no, I'm not going to give it to you. And it says the love of God's not really in you. And so you can't say, I'm ministering to the Lord. I've got no time for you. But there has to be time set apart for him. There's got to be. Even Jesus knew this. You know, that, that one time when he, they saw him walking on the water, you know, the, that whole story starts with him just being swamped by ministering to people and him having to go off to the mountains to spend some time alone with, alone with the Lord, with his father. And then it says, he said, I'll catch up to you, you guys go ahead and start. I, I bet they wondered, how's he going to catch up with us? And all of a sudden, they're rowing against the waves. And it says they see Jesus. They don't know it's him yet, but they see him walking on the water. And it says he intended to pass them. That's the funniest part of the story to me, is that Jesus had no intention of stopping and getting in the boat. He was just going to pass them by and meet them on the other side. They got freaked out. But there's another point where they're swamped. And once again, they use the boat. Because the people are all on the beach and they're all on the shore. And, they, you know, Jesus is like, let's get away for a while. Let's get away from the crowds. So they go, and they're going to the other side where they're going to find a place. But it says the crowds watched where he was going. And they ran around the shore and figured out where they were headed and met him there. Now, this was supposed to be their alone time. And it says that Jesus looked at them and he felt compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them. So I, I see this blend here where Jesus understood the importance of being alone with God, but he also didn't neglect people, 
And he loved them enough that there were times where he had planned alone time and he spent it with people. But there was other times where he said, I got to go be alone with God. You got to have that in your life. Because if you don't, what you'll find is that after a while, all your ministry to people will begin to get dry and it'll begin to get hard and you'll begin to get irritated and you'll begin to get frustrated and you'll find yourself burned out and tired. Because it's in the presence of God, it's in times of ministering to the Lord that we are refreshed. Peter said, repent, be baptized, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I wonder how many of us here tonight, honestly, could use some direction from the Lord. And maybe we're like these guys, we don't even know he's got more direction for us. You don't even know. You think you're just on the right path, and maybe you are. But how will you know if you're not spending any time with him? And I would ask you right now, because maybe this is the first time the concept's been introduced. Maybe this is something that's a part of your regular life. But I'd ask you right now to consider your schedule week to week and how much time you spend just dedicated to him. How much of your prayer life is you asking him for things, which you should do. But how much of it is just you spending time and blessing him? How much time of thanksgiving is there in your prayer life? How much time do you just spend thanking God for stuff and just thanking him for everything and blessing him? Do you, do you have any time of worship? Now, I realize some of you say, well, I don't play any instruments. Well, worship doesn't necessarily have mus- need to have music at all. But, hey, you got a voice. If you want to make it musical, make it musical. Sing. You sing terrible, Jesus just loves you anyways. He's, he's the one guy that you can sing to, and he's still, he's going he's gonna to smile at you. He's going to think you're great. I want you to consider this for real because, you know, it's fun preaching messages. It's nice reading up stories about what happened 2,000 years ago. But the reason we read it is so it can change our lives right now. And I wonder if God is, is, is going to plant some seeds in us even tonight that would shape the rest of your life. I think the rest of your life could be shaped if you were spending some time. Now, I realize we're all busy people, but it's like... Uh, it's like, you know, in the, in the Old Testament when God first told them that there had to be a Sabbath day. People said, well, we can't afford to take one out of seven days off. Can't afford it. Got too much work to do. He says, you can't afford not to. Can't afford to give you 10% of everything we have. You can't afford not to give me 10%. What you give to God, the time you set apart for him, will ultimately make all the other times so much better. It will multiply everything else. And if you'll dedicate some time for the Lord. See, here's the problem. Most of our life, we're wandering around blindfolded, swinging a bat around, hoping we hit a pinata. You know, hoping we stumble upon some good things. You know, just kind of wandering around saying, Lord, am I going the right direction? Marco, Polo. You know, we're just kind of sniffing around and go, I think I'm heading in the general direction. And maybe you are. And maybe you're eventually going to get there. But you're spending so much time weaving that you're, you're spending a lot more time weaving than you are just, just getting there. That used to be me when I was driving. When I first started driving. And, of course, I first started learning to drive in a big Ford Econoline van. It was not forgiving at all. 
And we, I remember my dad, my dad loved when I got my learner's license because it meant he could relax, although I don't know how much relaxing he actually did. But we'd drive to Texas to see my relatives, and dad say, okay, Jonathan, you're going to drive. And he said, this is training. I was like, oh, man. I, I just, I, for whatever reason, maybe it was the van, maybe it was the fact that it was a chore type thing. I never enjoyed driving when I got my learner's license. I liked driving my scooter. I didn't like driving the van. So I'm driving the van, and uh, dad, would always, dad would call me a migratory weaver bird, he called me. <laughs> because, of the, because of the, he said, Jonathan, we are spending so much more gas than, 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 than if I were driving. He said, you are using so much more gas because you are going, I was staying in my lane for the most part, but weaving so much that it took us a lot longer to get there, and we used a lot more gas. I think a lot of us have a general idea of where God wants us to be. We know it's kind of in that direction. It's kind of like being blindfolded. You can feel the sun on your face. You kind of know as long as the sun's hitting my left cheek, I know I'm headed the right direction. But, you know, we're kind of wandering around, feeling around for where we should be. And we're, we're getting there. We're just getting there slowly and we're wasting a lot of energy. But what God wants to do is reveal some things to you. And open your eyes to some things. And Jesus said, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends. And the difference is a slave does not know what his master is doing. He tells us very clearly, it's my desire that, that I, could, I could show my will to you in 1 Corinthians 2. That it was his, his desire through the Spirit to show us the things he's freely given to us. To let us know his plan for us. And the Bible says in Romans 8, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And so these are the sons of God. We want to be those people that are led by God. We spend so much time wandering around hoping we hit the right notes. I guarantee you, if we would dedicate some time to him and just fix our eyes on him, no agenda, just, just focus on him for a while. And you know what? These guys were not too macho to do it together as a group. Some of us are so embarrassed we only want to be a certain way when we're by ourselves. Don't want to sing if other people are around. Don't want to lift our hands. Don't want to dance if people are watching. You know, these guys were macho enough. The women were secure enough. They could gather together and just minister to the Lord and not care who saw them, not care how insecure they might have felt. They just did it together. I think there's a great deal to be said for worshiping God together. Not just here. I wonder if every now and then you could get together with some of your friends and say, we're just going to bless the Lord for a while. How radical would that be? And maybe you could just see what God does. I want to read you something in closing here, Psalm 134. Of course, we know David is one of these people that understood this. He says, in Psalm 134:1, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. You don't, you don't bless the Lord just by saying, bless the Lord. You begin to bless him. How did, how did we bless the Lord? You know, when, when, when King David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, he began to list off everything that God did for him. And as he did that, God is being blessed. He says, bless the Lord. All the servants of the Lord. Anybody excluded in that? The only people that are excluded are the people that aren't servants of the Lord. If we're all servants of the Lord tonight, I think we're all included. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. 
who served by night in the house of the Lord. You didn't just go home, five o'clock, I'm clocking out. You went to the house of the Lord at night and spent your evenings. Hey, you guys are Wednesday night people. You're already, you're already doing this. It says, lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Oh, I don't lift my hands. That's not how I personally worship. That's nice. Good that you've carved out your own way. I find it's one of the best things to do is actually listen to the instructions God gave. <laughs> Doesn't mean you always have to lift your hands, but I, I think it's important. Yeah. He says it more than once. Yeah. Says it more than once. Clap your hands. All you people. All. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Well, don't yeah. shout. That's not who I am. Yeah. You know... Pretty much everything that God's ever going to call you to do is not who you are naturally. That's what makes it so great. That makes it so wonderful. See, he wouldn't have to tell you to do something if you were accidentally doing it already. If your habit was just walking down Highway 16 with your hands in the air. And he probably wouldn't have to tell you to lift your hands. Because you always have your hands in the air. But that's not what happens. There's a reason you got a command here. It's because you wouldn't have thought of it on your own. So we got to stop being consumers who go to Future Shop and say, this is the phone for me. It meets everything I'm looking for and apply that attitude to Jesus and say, this is the church I'm looking for. It has everything I'm looking for. This is the worship service I'm looking for. It has everything I'm looking for. This is the song I like. It has everything I'm looking for. And stop being a consumer and start being a participator and a giver and say, God, what do you want? That's not how I personally worship. Get over yourself. How does he want you to worship him? And do that. You you can stop at the uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, all right? Because maybe that's a little cultural. Then it says this, lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. Do you see that? You bless the Lord, he blesses you. As you bless the Lord, may the Lord bless you. As they minister to the Lord, the Lord ministered to them. You know, they didn't go into it saying, I need to be ministered to, I'm going to minister to the Lord. They just did it because that's who they were. We've been created to minister to God. Do you know, it is so valuable that we reach souls for Jesus, isn't it? It's so important that we preach the gospel. But before there was ever sin in the world, see, before there was sin in the world, Adam and Eve didn't have to witness to anybody. The first created purpose for mankind, the first one, was to know him and to fellowship with him. Before there was any need to witness, before there was any need to, 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 to teach your kids, the first thing they were created for was fellowship and worship. And the reason... One of the reasons we witness, one of the reasons as we spread the gospel is because sin has separated us from God and the world needs to be reconciled back to God so that they can fellowship with him and so they can know him in the power of his resurrection and they can know his life because they've been separated by sin. And so we go everywhere we go, we preach the gospel so they be reconciled to God and so that they can be with him for eternity and not be separated from him for eternity because hell is a terrible place and the worst thing about it is God is not, you're not fellowshipping with God in hell. There is a lot of bad stuff there. But let me tell you, We want to preach the gospel so that they can be reconciled back to God. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. 
We are ministers. We are agents of reconciliation. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Isn't it a shame if all the barriers between you and God have been removed and you don't bother to come close? Like the very thing that separated you this whole time is gone. Jesus took it. He took it on himself. The very thing that kept you out of the presence of God is gone for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. You remove sin, you no longer come short of his glory. Don't you want to spend time in that glory with that glorious father? I do. And everything that kept me out of his presence was put on to Jesus. Now we're drawn near. Guys, we got to minister to people. That's part of who we are. We minister to people. But you can't minister to people if you don't know how to minister to the Lord. Before, listen to this. Before Saul and Barnabas were sent to minister to all these nations, they started out ministering to God. And out of that time of ministry, the other ministry flowed out of that. Every ministry that God will ever use you for will flow out of that ministry to him. That's where it'll come from. That's where you'll get the idea. That's where you get the strength. That's where you get the plan. That's where you get the life. That's where you get everything you need. It'll all flow out of your relationship with him. And I can tell you from being in ministry, many of you could say the same thing from your ministry. But from being in ministry, if I don't have time with him, ministry is next to impossible. Because you can't pour out what you don't have. And you can't pour out what you're not being filled when you're not being filled. So let's spend some time with him. Let's bless the Lord. Let's honor him for who he is and let's worship him with everything we've got. Amen. Stand up with me today. Praise God. You know, I remember when I was a teenager and we used to get together and just bring a guitar. And all we'd do is we'd spend a couple hours just singing and worshiping God and praying. Thing is, nobody told us to do that, you know? Nobody told us you need to do this or you can get some college credits if you do. We just did it. We did it because we wanted to. I think maybe it's sometimes you did it because you felt like it was the right thing to do, but once you did it once or twice, you tasted and saw that the Lord was good and you wanted to. And we need to be comfortable enough with the Lord and with each other that um, it's not too weird for us to get together and worship him together. Just bless the Lord together. Doesn't have to, like I said, worship is way more than music. So you blessing the Lord, you can just get together and start talking to him and say, let's just bless the Lord. Lord, you are so good. And just begin to talk, talk to him, talk about him. Talk about how wonderful he is. And as you do that, you're refreshed. I want your prayer life I know I'm supposed to be done. I just want to say something here. I've noticed this, that there have been times where we had certain prayer meetings where they were for a purpose and we were praying about a specific thing. That's why we had gathered people to pray. And I'd noticed that every, you know, there, there were times where people would be in those prayer meetings and sometimes even myself, and we'd hear something very personal for us. And I know that's the way it works a lot. But sometimes the reason for that, the reason you were in a corporate session that you were supposed to be praying together for one thing and you ended up hearing instructions for you was not a bad thing because obviously it still came from God. Mm -hmm. But had you been spending that time on your own, Mm -hmm. 
you would have been hearing that already. And you could have spent this time praying about what we all came together to pray about. You know what I'm saying? So there are times where if you have that time on your own where you're praying for the Lord or, or with some friends where you're praying, he'll answer some things. He'll fix some things. He'll sort some things out. And then that time where you're with other believers, God can, because your cup's full, you can start pouring out on other things. He can direct you to other things. So uh, I, I monitor, your, your, watch your prayer life and say, you know, Lord, I've noticed every time I pray, it's because I need something. Don't cut out the praying for things you need. Add more time to bless the Lord and, and time for thanksgiving and time for worship. Because none of us, like I said, would want a relationship with our kids. And all, the only time we ever talk is when they need a check. Some of you, that's kind of your relationship right now. But it's probably not the one you want. And I think that God deserves so much more. He is never bothered by your problems. He's never bothered by your needs. He loves to meet them. He wants you to bring your request to the Lord. He commands you to do it. But he also wants you to bring your worship. Can we just, for a moment, can let's just lift our hands. And I, I don't want us to do something. We're just going to, for a moment, bless the Lord. And I'm just going to play, but don't worry about what I'm playing. I want you to just talk to the Lord and just begin to thank him for things he did. You know, you can be broad, but you can, it's also great when you're specific. Just start, just start saying, Lord, I, you know, and let me give you an example. Let me just start us off here. Let me prime the pump. Father, I thank you that you have delivered me. Lord, you gave me something that I never could have got on my own. You lifted me out of the mud and you raised me up and placed me on a rock. Father, I realize that everything good that I've ever had came from your hand. Lord, you've blessed me with a wonderful family. You've blessed me with people around me that I love. You've blessed me with a purpose. You've blessed me in every area. You've healed my body. When I needed it, you healed me. You didn't leave me in the bed. You didn't leave me dying. You healed me. You saved my life on more than one occasion. Now, that's real elementary. I wasn't really even getting that deep. But go ahead and just begin thanking God for what he's done. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Oh. 
been great to us. And Lord, we turn our hearts to you. We're never too busy for you. 
Lord, we ask that we would hunger and thirst for more of you. That our schedule would not be our God. That our job would not be our Lord. But that you would take first place. And I'm asking you, Lord, to train us, to teach us how to truly worship you in spirit and in truth. How to bless you. How to pour out our hearts to you. I think that some of us don't realize how much he enjoys your, your, your time and your company. How much the Lord takes pleasure in your time with him. And you think it's just something you got to do. But he loves you. And when you pour out your worship to him, it's pleasing to him. We could never repay him for his kindness. We could never repay him for his goodness, nor does he ask us to. It was a free gift. But out of the gratitude of our hearts, there's not a moment in my life that I don't want to spend thanking him.
exactly how I feel And I can't begin To tell you what your love has meant I'm lost for words If you don't know the words, just worship God in your own way well, Is there a way To show the passion in my heart And can I express Truly great, I think you are You're my dearest friend Lord, this is my desire
his pleasure. Once you really taste and see how good he is, you become addicted to the real thing. There's really nothing else that can substitute for it. You'll find yourself chasing it, but you don't have to run far because it's his desire to, to fellowship with you. Scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus, we want to draw near to you more and more. We love you. We love your presence. We love your word. We love your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would draw us near to yourself. May I just say, it's not, it may seem like the women do the praying, (laughs) but that's just not in the Bible. And I know sometimes worship, sometimes as men, we just go, all right, it's not my thing. But it is. And all throughout the scriptures were men that won battles and men that fought and were brave beyond the human ability to be brave. And they were first and foremost worshipers. Men like David. Hardcore old men like John started out laying his head on Jesus the Lord just as much as it's a womanly thing so men and women alike oh I pray the apostle Paul wrote I pray that men everywhere would pray lifting holy hands without wrath or doubting and my prayer is that we all go up together and we ascend the hill of the Lord and nobody's left at base camp nobody's left down there saying I don't know that we would ascend together. As the scripture says, we will all go up together to Zion. And Hebrews says, we have not come to Sinai where only one guy goes up and everybody else is terrified. We've come to Mount Zion. Let's ascend the hill of the Lord together. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all that you've spoken. We thank you for all that you've done. May it just not end here. And when we stop playing music and when the lights go down and we all leave the building, We ask, Lord, that your presence goes with us and the desire for you will go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.